always looking for open hearts and open opportunities and he really wants to move on our hearts today I know sometimes it gets to be like Sunday can be routine uh, but there is never a single time when you're in the presence of the Lord that it's intended to be routine. He's, uh, he's looking for the opportunity to do a new thing in your life and in the, in the earth through us. So just uh, continue in a spirit of worship as we continue on this morning. Uh, I'm going to let the kids go, and first we're going to pray for them. So let's pause and just lift our children up to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, for the many blessings that you have poured out on us, Lord, and especially, Lord, for these young lives that you have given us the privilege and the joy and the opportunity, Lord, uh, to mold and shape, um, not as, uh, as if we owned them, Lord, but as if they are entrusted to us for a, a short period of time, Lord. And I just pray uh, that today would be a significant day for them, Lord, that they, there would be a word planted in their heart today, Lord, that will blossom and bear fruit in the years to come. I pray for those that are working and serving our children today, Lord, uh, that you would help them, Lord Jesus, to have an open heart toward you and an open heart toward these children and uh, to really be sensitive to your spirit, Lord, um, as you empower them and as you encourage them uh, to share the love of God with these young lives. We just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the kids can go to children's ministry. Uh, if you will, turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 1, and uh, I can tell you ahead of time, I'm going to ask you to write in your Bible today, and, uh, or to highlight your electronic Bible, whatever your chosen uh, method of um, reading the Word is. Um, you know, I think the greatest uh, turning point in human history was Jesus Christ, and there were several things that happened in His life that each one of them was a first, and it was unique. Uh, and things have never been the same uh, since then. And uh, Matthew chapter 1 is, uh, talks about that turning point uh, in, in human uh, history and how it came about. And we're going to be looking at some scriptures um, that are often overlooked. And uh, if you read through the Bible in a year, that's probably about the only time that you would turn to these scriptures and actually read them. And it's also a temptation sometimes to uh, sort of skim them and not really think about the significance of them. There's not a single word that is in Scripture that is of no consequence. And there's, there's not a single word of Scripture um, that God can't teach us something through. Uh, and we're going to look at uh, the, um, the genealogy, uh, or actually um, in Matthew chapter 1, it says the, uh, the genealogy, that word actually is Genesis. That's going to be too small. Is that big enough? You can read it, can't you? The, uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ is actually the genesis of Jesus Christ, and it's the beginning of the New Testament, and it begins like the Old Testament began with Genesis, with the, in the beginning and, uh, and with creation. Um, from what we're studying this morning, we'll conclude um, with applying it to ourselves and turning points in our lives, because whether you know it or not, this divine appointment this morning, God intends for this to be a significant event for you. 
he, he intends to do something in your heart. It may not be something with a lot of fireworks, but he intends to implant something into your life today and to teach you something and to turn something around in your life. Every time you come into the presence of the Lord, you should come expecting because it would be crazy to come into the presence of the living God and walk away unchanged. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you'll turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 17. Uh, we'll read it, and then we'll come back and talk about it. It says, The book of the genealogy or Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah uh, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez... Uh, the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father by, of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And then Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of deportation uh, to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father. I'm sorry, I've got this. Up. I'm going so fast. Well, did I? Sorry. Did I scroll through that? Okay. The deportation to Babylon. There we are. Okay. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. I've done well to get up to this point without stumbling over a name. And Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ." So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation uh, to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Now what I want to talk about this morning, we're going to go back to, um, to this first uh, reference here, this first, um, actually, I'll give you the, kind of the overview of where I'm going with this. Turning points in our lives, spiritual turning points, are the result of three things, and these three things are illustrated in these three different sections of Scripture that we just read um, that are the genealogy. First is acceptance, second is assurance, and the third is ability. And these kind of things don't come to us because we earn them or because we um, plan them or anything like that. These, this is what God supplies ahead of time, acceptance you can't make yourself acceptable to God. He chooses to accept you. Assurance, he gives us his assurance before, ahead of time. He gives us our, his, his assurance to start off with, and we stand on that. And the third is the ability. He gives the ability, and he gives this ability to us freely. We don't earn it. 
We don't make it happen. He doesn't look at our lives and say, you're worthy of these things. He looks at our lives and says, I'm going to be glorified in you just specifically because you don't have the abilities. Amen? That's the good news. That's what keeps us from striving. That's what helps us to enter into the rest that the Bible talks about, that where, when we're walking with the Lord, it is a rest that we're walking in, not a striving that we're walking in. So first of all, I want to talk about acceptance, and I'm going to go back to the scripture that we started with, and here's where I want you to, you, you um, highlight or underline um, these names like I have them uh, in the, in the uh, reference here, okay? So the first is Tamar, the second is Rahab, the third is Ruth, and the fourth is uh, the wife of Uriah, which you can, you, you, most of you know, that is uh, a woman named Bathsheba. Um, now, Matthew's point uh, in this genealogy, people do genealogies for a lot of different reasons, and Jewish people would have been familiar with this genealogy because this is something that they, had rehe they would rehearse and they would memorize. Um, and Matthew is taking a little bit of a different take on this. So he's not just given, usually a genealogy is, um, is the, uh, down the descendant by the father through the father's line. Um, it's usually there's no mention of a woman or, or women or mothers uh, in that. Um, it's, that's usually the way that it goes. And also the genealogy was memorized because people would use that as a way to sort of um, uh, prove their legitimacy. Okay? So they would, they would be able to say, I am a son of Abraham and here are all of my um, ancestors, all of my fathers that have come down to me and that I am a part of this line. So that's why people would have a, a genealogy, is to um, affirm themselves or to validate themselves or to prove something about themselves um, that is respectable. So that's, that points out to us what Matthew is after here. Because these four women, each one of them is, a, um, is, a, is a, an expression of something that God is trying to get across to Israel lest they be lifted up in pride, unless they think themselves worthy of the blessings of God, or that they are special people in themselves, apart from the fact that God just chose them. And he didn't look down from heaven and say, this is the best race on the face of the earth, for any other reason except he said, these are my chosen people. So I want you to highlight and underline those names because next time you look at the genealogy or next time you start the Bible in a year and you come to the genealogy, maybe you'll be a little bit less tempted to sort of skim it, but maybe stop and think about it. And it's not just these names, okay? I don't have time to go into the whole genealogy, but there are stories contained in these that are all significant stories that lead to the birth of Jesus Christ, that lead to the genesis of Jesus Christ. This is the line that God chose to be his royal line, to be the line that Jesus Christ, when he comes to the earth, that he says, these are his ancestors. This is his family. And he mentions these, these three, uh, these four uh, uh, women by name. First is Tamar. And some of this stuff is like uh, grown-up stories that it's hard to tell the story without it, uh, you know, involving some things that are not um, what we normally think of as palatable. Um, but Tamar, 
God told uh, Israel when they came in that if a man marries a woman and then he dies without her becoming pregnant or having, having any children, that his brother is to marry her and to raise up progeny for her. And there's a lot of different reasons why this is important. Economic for one thing, um, honor uh, for another, for legitimacy, um, you know, the, the uh, continuation of a, of a line, uh, a hereditary line uh, for another thing. And so um, she was the um, daughter-in-law of Jacob. And so Jacob had a son, uh, his name was, um, well, I didn't record his name, Perez, I think. Um, he had a son, and that son died, and this was, this was his wife, Tamar was his wife. And then um, Jacob married her to the next son, and he died. And he's, his name was... Um, uh, Oh, gosh, I'm going to forget. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Anyway, what he did was he married her and he had relations with her, uh, but he did it in such a way that she would not get pregnant, okay? He, and, and God cursed him and, and he died. So now Jacob's got two dead sons from this woman, and de- Jacob is thinking, this woman is tainted. This woman is, de- you know, dangerous, and, I, and, and he has one son left, and, and so Jacob is reluctant to marry her to this son. This son is a, is a minor still. And Jacob tells her, when he gets to be a grown-up, then he can marry you and then you can, he can raise up, you know, children um, for you. And he never does it. And he just, he completely um, shirks his responsibility to Tamar. So Tamar dresses up like a prostitute and she sits on the roadside where Jacob is going to be coming. I mean, yeah, where Jacob is going to be coming through. And um, she, um, uh, he, he turns aside to her, and he has relations with her, and she, he doesn't have any money. So he leaves her certain articles, um, significant articles, and he says, you keep these, and when I come back, I'll pay you. So then he comes back. He's, he's gone for a while, and he comes back, and she's gone. And, she, and he asks, you know, where is the prostitute that sits by the side of the road? And they're like, there is no prostitute sits by the side of the road there. Well, when she's three months pregnant, they find out that she is pregnant, and somebody comes to him and says to him, your daughter-in-law is pregnant, and she's not married, and he says she should be put to death. She should be burned to death. And so when she's arrested, she says, I'm going to send him certain articles, and she does. She sends those articles back, and when he sees it, he realizes how guilty he is and what he has done wrong. That's the royal seed. That's the line of David. That child that was born to Tamar under those circumstances was a great, 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 great grandfather of Joseph, who was Jesus' father. The second one is Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Now, Tamar, of all of these, Tamar... Um, is the only one that was a a legitimately Jewish woman. The other ones are all foreigners. Um, Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho when the spies went out to spy out the land. And when they came in, they were being sought and they were being chased. I don't know if you've ever seen any spy movies, but it's like all undercover stuff. It's really deadly and really dangerous. And they came to her place and she hid them. And then she let them out of the city. She, She cared for them. She put her life at risk for these spies of Israel. 
she became part of the royal line. The next one is Ruth. And Ruth was a Moabitess. She had married a Jewish man. Um, her mother-in-law and, and her sister-in-law um, were, were living in a foreign land, and, and these two guys both died. The two, two husbands both died. And so Ruth and her sister-in-law um, and, Ru- and, uh, and Naomi were the only ones that were left there. And so Naomi says, look, I'm old. I'm, I'm not going to marry again. I'm not going to have any more children, so I'm not going to be able to give you a husband to replace the husband that died. Um, and she blessed her, and she said, you know, go back home, and I, and I pray that you find rest, and all of this. And Ruth, and, and, and uh, uh, Naomi said of herself, she said, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Myra, which is the word for Mary, with the, the name that we get Mary from. And it just meant, meant bitter, because of how much grief she had experienced. And she had nothing to give. She was just a broken-hearted woman, and she's going back home to, uh, to, to Judah, And Ruth clings to her and says, where you go, I will go. And where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die and I will be buried there. She made a covenant with Naomi out of compassion of her heart. Naomi had nothing to offer her. She was not doing it for her own self-interest. Well, they go to to the land And uh, through a lot of different circumstances, she finds a kinsman redeemer, which is exactly what this is supposed to be, someone who is supposed to marry her to give her children to raise up children for her. His name was Boaz, and Boaz was the son of uh, Rahab. And so Ruth marries Boaz, and that becomes the royal line. And Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And, and we know the story of David and Bathsheba and the sordid tale that that is. And it's one of those things that when you look at that, you look at the murder, you look at the, the, um, the infidelity, um, you look at the lying and the intrigue, you look at the fact that the guy was the king and he was favored of God and he had been used mightily of God and yet he fell so terribly and hurt so many people through that. And that was the royal line as well. That child that was born to them uh, from that infidelity was not, was not uh, Jesus' ancestor. Um, the next child that was born, which was Solomon, was the one that got. So here's the deal. What this illustrates to us is God's acceptance. God is accepting. God is not, not, uh, not uh, completely thrown off by our human failure. He knows that we're frail. He knows that we fail. He knows that it's, it's, uh, it's not going to be something that we're going to raise up um, because we are great people. But for faithfulness, God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. God accepts even what we don't accept. God put foreigners in Jesus' uh, line, and Matthew mentions them specifically because he wants to remind us of the chosen race of of Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ came from. And Jesus Christ was intended to be the Savior of the whole world, not just Israel. And that's the reason why we have foreigners in his line, is because he is is actually related to these people. These women 
punctuate the genealogy to show the acceptance of God and the work through the frailty of humanity. Listen, the acceptance of God is not earned. The acceptance of God is by faith, but it's freely given, and he does the work ahead of time. He has accepted you. Do you have things in your background and things in your past that still dog you? Are there certain things that you look at and you're so so disappointed in yourself and you're so ashamed of yourself? Listen to me. God forgives and cleanses and accepts us. And it's out of his great mercy. And it's not because we earn it or because we deserve it. You can point to your failures and he says, I will be glorified in your failures. You can point to your weakness, and he says, I will, I will, my mercy is going to be made known through your weakness. Amen? The next one is uh, the descent into the captivity, and that is um, a sign of or a, uh, an example of um, the assurance of God. This part of the genealogy is filled with failure and unfaithfulness. God assured Israel that he would remain faithful to her. His assurance comes first. It isn't earned It's what we stand on, not our performance. And some of these names are infamous names. Uh, Terribly, terribly bad kings. There are a couple of good ones in there, but by and large, the the royal line in Israel was a line of uh, willfulness, idolatry, uh, adultery, uh, unfaithfulness, all the way down. And it says... Uh, at the bottom of it, it says uh, Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon because Jesus came through that line, but that line was completely dishonored. That is the royal line, and it's, and it's a sign of, of failure and, de- and, uh, and uh, descending uh, into uh, captivity. And this didn't just happen once. This is the great um, deportation, the great... Um, captivity, but this happened over and over and over again. A king would come, he would sometimes be faith, start out faithful and wind up being idolatrous, or he would be faithful to a certain extent and then not wipe out the, the idols, and God would judge him, and another people would come and conquer them, and they would go into captivity, and then he would bring them back out again. They would be conquered at home, they would be carried off, and they, this process happened over and over again until the Babylonian captivity, and that one lasted 70-something years. And he was, God was breaking something in Israel at that time. As Matthew has given us this genealogy, he's not reminding them of why they are legitimate. He's not reminding them of why they matter. He's reminding them of the fact that they are not legitimate and they shouldn't matter. But that God is faithful. And that this G- Jesus Christ has come through. See, I'll get to it in a minute, but there's a reason why he's getting to this. Uh, with them. And then the last one is uh, the ability. And this is uh, from the Babylonian captivity down to the birth of Jesus Christ. And it ends with, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Now, this right here would be one of those things that a Jewish person looking at that um, uh, genealogy would say, well, it's very flawed, (laughs) Because Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus. So why are we giving them this whole descent thing? It would be the reason why we would say he's not legitimate. And I think it followed Jesus around. I really do. There was one time when he's talking to the Pharisees, um, and they said, well, we know who our father is. That's a reference to the fact that Jesus grew up under a cloud of being an illegitimate child. But Jesus knew who his father was, too. 
And his father was the one that orchestrated all of this. And Joseph is no less legitimate a father of Jesus than any of these guys are. In fact, when we get to the end here, I think we're going to see that Joseph played such a key role in this that he may have been one of the most significant fathers of this genealogy. The genealogy ends with Joseph and Mary. And Mary asking, how can these things be? And the answer was, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. We've had a a, a series on the Holy Spirit. And this is a continuation of that. This this sermon is not necessarily talking about um, the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit or um, the way that the Spirit operates in the church. But this is bringing us back to the fact that the Spirit is the giver of life. We saw that in Genesis where it says um, the earth was, uh, was a void of form and uh, formless and that the Spirit moved over the deep. The beginning of creation began with the Holy Spirit. And the beginning of the genealogy and the genesis of Jesus Christ also began with the Holy Spirit. And when Mary said, how will these things be? The angel said, the Holy Spirit is going to do this. So we're still studying the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. He doesn't get his proper uh, uh, props but he is God himself, and he is a major force in the work of the Lord on the earth, but he's also a major force in us, too. So when we're looking at turning points in our lives, he's the one that gives life. He's the one that gives the assurance. He's the one that accepts us. We've all had turning points in our life. Just like this genealogy illustrates for us. These are turning points in in Israel. Abraham, right? And and David. Um, Major turning points in the history of Israel that Jesus is directly connected to. Not only that, but miraculous births were also part of this genealogy. And uh, uh, Matthew is reminding us that God's miracle power in bringing birth to a child is seen over and over and over again, beginning with Abraham and Sarah and her barrenness and progressing through the other women that we have named that were so unlikely to be a part of this royal and, 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 uh, um, and holy um, genealogy where people were not capable of doing things and God comes in and does a miracle and makes it happen. Turning points. Three key elements to these turning points by the work of the Holy Spirit is acceptance, assurance, and ability. Some of the major turning points that we have in our lives. First of all, and we, a lot of times you can know that it's a turning point because you remember it. You remember the anniversary of it. So what are some of the things that we, on a regular basis, remember about our lives? We remember our birthday, right? That was a turning point, wasn't it? Turning from being nobody to being somebody, Right? From being in the womb to being out of the womb, coming into the, into the world. Uh, I've been, I was there for the birth of all of my um, sons, and uh, it's, a, um, it's a significant um, emotional experience um, to be there. It was, I was moved to tears almost every single time. One of them, I actually, well, actually two of them I delivered uh, myself. Um, one of them without aid of a midwife, uh, which was a significant experience, and I can tell you, I was praying in tongues when it was going on, uh, just crying out to God because 
the midwife said, do you think you can deliver the baby? And I'm like, I think I can if I have to, you know. And I hung up the phone from her because she's like 15 minutes away. And I'm like, that is really unprofessional to her to scare me like that. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. I ended up delivering my child. And it's like, that was a significant event, but it was so, it was, it's significant in ways that we don't understand when it starts. Because a human being is formed out of that. My son Gabe came out of that. And everything that he is and everything that he's accomplished all started at that one point. So it's significant. We know it's significant. We don't know the, the, everything that's going to follow from, uh, from that. Also marriage, right? We remember our anniversaries. At least we should remember our anniversary. Um, I was at a, a meeting one time with a guy, and uh, it was a wedding. And so we were upstairs, and, uh, and, and his wife was downstairs, and he needed something out of the car. And they had one of those cars where you have the code on it, you know? So he's going out to the car to get something, and he calls down to his wife, and he said, I've forgotten the code. What's the code again? And she says, it's your anniversary date. And he looked at me and cussed. He was like, that's not going to help. <laughs> but you should remember your anniversary. It's where things begin. And we, chart, we, we look at that and we say, that was, a, that was a turning point in my life. Things were not the same after uh, as they were before. Um, salvation. Many people can point to a particular, a specific minute when they gave their heart to the Lord, when they made a decision to the Lord. I can't do that. I can point to a month, a time that I go into that month thinking that I'm okay, and I come out of that month actually a child of God. Something had happened, something significant had happened, and my, my life was never the same after that. See, I'd said yes to Jesus many times before, but it never really took. It's not till I put myself under the lordship of Jesus Christ, not just saying I believe in you, as if I was doing him some favor by saying I believe in Jesus Christ, but when I said, you are my Lord, you are my authority, you, I, I am under your authority, I am your child. And when that happened, everything changed. My life changed dramatically during that period of time. A friend of mine the other day posted on uh, Facebook uh, that he had been, uh, that he and his wife were celebrating, uh, I think it was like 12 years that they had been, they, they had been out of debt. It's a significant financial accomplishment for them. And then every year they remind themselves of that because they value that. Because they're not under the burden of debt anymore. They had been under a crushing debt and they had committed themselves and worked themselves up to being out of debt. Some of you celebrate sobriety like that. That you're... 10 years sober, or five years sober, or five months sober. And see, the reason why we do that is because it's a significant event. And it doesn't always happen on January the 1st. It's not the result of some New Year's resolution. What we're looking at today is Christmas in July. Okay? Because, and the reason why we're doing that is because Christmas can come at any time. Christmas can come at any time. The light can dawn on you at any time. You can change. You should change. You need to change. And you can change. For uh, Isaiah, it was uh, the year that King Uzziah died. And he remembered that as a significant event for him. That he, he looked back on that and he marked that day in his life. And he said something happened. Something broke. Something, something arose in the spirit. Our own personal turning points are based on this same formula. Acceptance, 
assurance, and ability. I want you to know something. You are not done. You are not done. And God is not done with you. You are not done. You're still breathing? Breathe in. That's an indication that you're not done. Feel that pulse? You're not done. It's not over. And God has greater things ahead of you than he has behind you. Listen to me. If for no other reason but because heaven is before you. Your your latter days are always going to be better than your your former days. And there will be a time, and it's not a fairy tale, when you will be able to say, I live happily ever after. That's what you're bound for, okay? And all along the way, there are ups and downs, but this crimson thread that God has woven through your life and through your history is beckoning you forward and on. And the turning points in your life are based on this same thing, acceptance, assurance, and ability. Jesus talking to uh, Nicodemus says, and he's talking about the Spirit, he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is to everyone that is born by the Spirit. Now he's talking to a leader of Israel, and that leader of Israel, Nicodemus, says, how can these things be? Does that not sound like Mary? How can these things be? And the angel answers Mary. The angel says, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and the power of God, the Spirit of the Lord will overshadow you, and the power of God will come upon you, and you will conceive in your womb. That sounds like a baptism in the Holy Spirit. That sounds like a significant spiritual experience that is initiated by God and that a human being is a receptacle for. It's just a beneficiary of. Something powerful and mighty happened to her. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the same thing. And he says, the wind blows where it it will, and you have no idea. And he says, so are people that are led by the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? And Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony because it's not fleshly and it's not earthly. It's spiritually discerned. I want to end with um, just the very human and important uh, element of this. And as I, was, as I was studying these things, it's like the, the human element of it seems to be um, the failure point. It seems to be the weakness, the point where um, everything should be falling apart. And yet God comes in and he makes it right. But I want you to know, there's a human element here that's essential to this story. And it's a, it's a story of human faithfulness and human sacrifice and human, humans literally willing to lay down their lives, give up their futures, and change the, the hopes and dreams that they have. And that's Mary and Joseph. Because when the Spirit came, when the angel came uh, to Mary and said, um, you, you found favor with God, and she was shocked because she knows herself like we all know ourselves. And it's like, I wish I could say that I felt like I had favor with God. And the angel is saying, you have found favor with God. What he was saying is, you are accepted. You are accepted, and that was God's choice. But then she had to make a decision too, didn't she? Because Jesus had to be born to a really 
um, unique uh, person. Someone who put God first. And I'm not saying that there's not people like that. There are people like that everywhere that would love to be able to do that and lay down their lives for God. They just don't have the ability to do that. He had, God had seen something in Mary. He had put something in Mary, and he had found something in Mary, and he had to have a vessel who was willing to bear this child. And bearing this child is bearing the most glorious one who ever lived. But it's also bearing shame and misunderstanding. Even to this day, one of the things that people accuse us of, of being crazy, is because we believe in a virgin birth. Think about what it was like back then. Because nobody was expecting the Messiah to be born to begin with, and nobody expected him to be born to a virgin, even though the Scriptures had said that. They only got that from hindsight. Nobody understood this. And this young Jewish girl in a, in the, living in the sticks in the country is the one that God chose for himself. And what did she say? She said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. And then I want to talk about Joseph, too. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place this way. This is in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 20. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place this way. Um, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be with child um, by the Holy Spirit. And her husband jo Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, that may not sound like a kindness, but that's exactly what that was. Joseph was a righteous, a just man. And Joseph was someone who took the law seriously and lived his life by the law, okay? And he's betrothed to a woman, and the way that it works, you probably know this already, but the way that it works is a couple would get engaged, and then they would be engaged for like a year, but that engagement itself was a marriage. It was betrothal. It was just, in order to get out of that, in order to reverse that, there had to be a divorce. So it's not like an engagement and then a couple of weeks into it, you decide, well, we're not going to get married. We changed our minds. When you made that commitment to marry, you were, in all senses, married. And so they had been committed to, to marry. And this was all before they knew any of this stuff going on. I don't think that, that Joseph was even thinking about his own genealogy and, uh, and the fact that the Messiah, Messiah could come through him. And he, 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 uh, um, he, he promises um, to marry um, this girl, and then shortly after that, he finds out that she is expecting. And so he, if the Bible says, he being a just man, decides that he wants to divorce her quietly. That is, that is exceeding um, uh, righteousness. See, what he is showing here is mercy and not just the letter of the law because the letter of the law would say that she should be put to death she has committed adultery she has been unfaithful to her husband and he could oppress the issue to do that but joseph is a just man he doesn't understand just the letter of the law but he also understands the mercy of god and so he's not going to put her to death listen to me god had plans he needed human cooperation for this to happen 
in the right way. Jesus said in, uh, that uh, he didn't come to, um, to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And he told his disciples that their righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the, of the uh, Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees' righteousness would have called for death. But the mercy of God, the true heart and spirit of the law, was not death, but it was mercy. It was life. Jesus told the Pharisees, uh, go and understand, go and find out what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. God has always wanted that. Not to, not to deny the law, but to be able to um, apply the law with mercy and understanding. Oh, but it goes further than that. Because in a dream, an angel appears to Joseph and tells him, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what is being birthed in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now we see not just exceeding righteousness, but we see godly righteousness. Joseph takes her to be his wife, and he raises Jesus as his own child. Listen to me. Every one of us is adopted of God, and every person that adopts a child is operating in the heart of God, whether they know it or not where they take something that is not their own. Listen, this is, Christ, this is the, what it means to be a Christian, is bearing other people's burdens that are not your burdens to bear. Are you with me? This is what it means to be a Christian. It's not just living the letter of the law. It's not just performance. It's not just doing your duty. It's caring for the needs of other people that are not your, it's not your problem and yet you willingly take those things on. Now listen, you know that Jesus Christ did this, but when Jesus Christ did this and he calls us our, his own, he says, you're going to do this too. You're going to be like Joseph. God wants to birth something in you. It's his deal. Is it your deal? If all of your hopes and dreams spiritually have to do with blessing you and taking care of you and giving you an awesome life, then you got this universe all out of whack there. Because it should be all about Him. The people of God bear the burdens of God. The people of God desire the burdens of God. The people of God don't have plans based on their own abilities and their own hopes and dreams, but it's the dreams that He's put in our hearts that He cares about. Love the unlovely. Forgive the unforgivable. Care for those who have been neglected. And listen, Jesus came to this through this genealogy. If, when a Jew recited this genealogy that, that Matthew had prepared here, making these points, he, could, he was faced with the, the, um, uh, the constant reminder that humans are broken and yet God moves through our brokenness. We have two people who are incredibly faithful and their faithfulness was vital to the outcome. God wants to do something in the earth today and he needs people. He needs people. He has decided to do it this way and it's glorious. He's doing it this way in our midst, okay? And what is TCF? TCF is not just a social organization. It's not just a group of people that like each other. The way I love you guys is not natural. It's not natural. The way you guys have loved me and the things that I've been through in my life, it's not natural. It comes from God. And the things that he wants to do in us and through us 
is not natural. Let me close with this. I'm ready, David, if you want to come. Run me back a couple of slides. Uh, David was out of town this week, and uh, we talked just a little bit ahead of time. I told him what the sermon title was, and, uh, and this happens so many times in worship, how God just coordinates things. Listen, guys, every song that we were singing during worship this morning, touching my heart, moving me to, to my core, all had to do with what God is speaking to, me, to you through me today. He coordinated this. So we're going to stand up. We're going to worship for a little while, okay? We've got a few minutes here. Um, I don't want you to be in a hurry. Um, some of you are at a point where you need a turning point in your life. You're desperate. I just invite you, if you're in that position today, come let me pray for you, okay? Don't, don't leave unchanged and don't leave business to be done at the altar. Let's stand together. And we're going to worship for a few minutes. And I just want you to open your heart up to the Lord. The only way to come to God is say, I, I completely surrender myself. You can't come with conditions and you can't come with ways of trying to justify yourself or preserve yourself. You just have to dive in head, head first into the presence of God, into the will of God. And yield yourself to Him and just say yes to Him, okay? Let's worship. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say yes. My life is yours. When you call me, I come running. I say yes. My life is yours. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say yes. My life is yours. When you call me, I come running. I say yes. My life is yours. And I say yes, Lord, I say yes, Lord, I say yes, my life is yours. When you call me, I come running, I say yes, my life is yours. And on that day when I go home, see my Jesus seated on his throne I find a crown upon my head a thousand jewels for every yes I said and I'll offer it right back to him oh I say yes Lord I say yes, 
Lord, I say yes, my life is yours. When you call me, I come running. I say yes, my life is yours. And I say yes, Lord, I say yes, Lord, I say yes. My life is yours When you call me I'll come running i say yes My life is yours For you're worthy of it all You're worthy of it all For from you are all things, and to you are all things. Only you deserve the glory. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all to you are all things only you deserve the glory you're worthy of it all you're worthy of it all for from you are all things and to you are all things only you deserve the glory and you are worthy of it all you are worthy of it all for from you are all things and to you are all things only you deserve the glory You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. Only you deserve the glory. And you're worthy of it all. To you are all things, only you deserve the glory. Sing, I say yes, and I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, my life is yours. When you call me, I'll come running. I say yes, my life is yours. And I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, my life is yours. When you call me, I 
say yes, my life is yours. When you call, when you call me, I come running. I say yes, my life is yours. And I say yes, Lord, I say yes, Lord. I say yes, my life is yours. When you call me, I come running. I say yes, my life is yours. And I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, my life is yours when you call me I come running I say yes my life is yours and I say yes Lord I say yes Lord I say yes my life is yours when you call come running I say yes my life is yours when you call when you call me I come running I say yes my life is yours for you're worthy of it all You're worthy of it all, for from you are all things, and to you are all things, only you deserve the glory, for you're worthy of it all, you're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things, only you deserve the glory. And I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all. I'll stand. Yeah. Lord, we declare now, Lord, 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you would find in us, in your people, Lord, not just us, but in your people, a heart that desires the burden of the Lord. Find in us, Lord Jesus, people who don't have their own agenda, but who have your agenda, who know your will, who know, know your commandments, who know your desires, and with all their heart, with abandon, pursue those things. Have in us, Lord Jesus, people like Mary and Joseph, who abandoned their own plans, who willingly took on the shame and the derision, Lord, of those who did not understand and those who were around them. Have in us, Lord, people that have that same spirit, because that's what you build your church on, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us would know what our particular burden is to be and what you are calling each one of us to be and how each one of us can bear the load, Lord, of bringing in the kingdom of God, the glorious and good and godly and peaceful kingdom of God, that each one of us would know, Lord, how you formed us in the womb to do this work. And it's not our work, and it's not that we're earning anything. It's that we get to go along with this adventure that we were created for, Lord. Oh, God, I pray, pray for TCF, Lord. Let this be a house, Lord, that you delight in because it's people that care about the things you care about and people that do the things that you tell us to do, Lord. And the people that turn our hearts away from, Lord, a, a, godly, a godless and lost generation, Lord, who have no clue of what life is all about. We want to be, be moved by your spirit like that wind that you were talking uh, to Nicodemus about, Lord. We want to be moved by your spirit, God. I pray for an outpouring of your spirit upon us, Lord yes. Jesus. Purify us and cleanse us, Lord Jesus. And then fill us with your spirit, with power, God. We don't want to spend our lives looking back at our glory days. We want to look forward to the glory that is prepared for us from the foundation of the world. And we want to be growing from glory to glory to glory to glory as your spirit moves in us and empowers us and transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I just, I just pray a blessing over your people, Lord, as we go today. I pray, Lord, that some seeds would be planted today that we'll be chewing on for a while. Thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you, and you're dismissed today.